Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and um, we want to continue sharing some things that we've been sharing over the last several weeks. Because of the season we're in, I really felt an urgency in my spirit to come back and teach on some of these things. And I don't know that I've ever just taken Matthew 24, Luke 17, Luke 21, the Olivet Discourse, and kind of explained it. I've hinted at it. I've mentioned it. I've, I've almost avoided doing it on national television because I don't want to just be in conflict with everybody. But I, I feel like it was so important in this season to help us to make a transition and understand some things because people are living in fear in the middle of this pandemic. These uh, uh, programs are being filmed right now in the middle of April, and at this time we are still in uh, the social distancing, uh, and we are still in uh, being quarantined in our homes. And there is so much mixture that I see on Facebook and one of the number one questions I've been asked from high-profile preachers and from preachers all over the world and from people is, is these the last days? Are we living in the end times? And I would encourage you to go back and listen to my several uh, uh, programs prior to this because I'm not going to come in detail on this one to address that. I've already done that in the two or three prior segments to this. And if you've missed any of those, they are archived on YouTube so that you can watch them at your leisure by just going to this website link and tapping on it. It'll take you directly to our uh, YouTube page where these are archived. Also, there's a uh, RSS feed and an iTunes feed where you can get the audio portions of it. You can go back and watch them or you can pause them, stop and listen to them. Maybe while you're shut in, it may not be a bad idea to watch these again. Perhaps by the time these air, you're not shut in anymore. Let's hope that's what it is. But I'm always asked, are these the fulfillments of Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation, to which I've already told you the last days that are in these scriptures are not the last days of a global situation. They are the last days of an age what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world, King James says. But the mistranslation of those words has given us confusion for years. And we keep on thinking about the end of a cosmic collapse when the world will come to an end, except it conflicts with what the Apostle Paul wrote when he said, to him be glory in the churches throughout all generations, world without end. I believe we're living in a world without end. And I believe that we're living, it's nothing wrong with the globe or the planet. God's dealing with the people on it. But we showed you over and over again that the last days was not the last days of this age. It was the last days of the old covenant age. If you don't get that peace, you are going to get confused whether God still acts like an old covenant God or He's operating under the new covenant. These catastrophes and plagues and stuff that you see in Revelation and Matthew 24 are the end of the old covenant age, and God is keeping His end of the covenant bargain because Israel had called covenant curses on themselves, and God as their covenant partner, 
had to keep his end of the covenant bargain, although he wept over Jerusalem and said, How oft I would have gathered you under my feathers as a hen doth gather her chicks, but you would not. As a matter of fact, God was so merciful. And if you read the, the book of, of Daniel, and it's easier to read it if you read it in the Amplified Bible, because it does a lot of the homework for you. He tells them, I believe it is in Daniel, the ninth chapter, he said, Seventy weeks of years are determined upon my people to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to anoint the most holy place. And several things that he describes would happen. He says, Seventy weeks of years, or 490 years, because 70 weeks of years is the terminology that's used in prophetic language, a year for a day principle, 490 years are determined upon my people. I said, God, why 490 years? Why did you say 70 times 7? And man, immediately my mind snapped to a verse where Jesus said, for a man must forgive until 70 times 7. God was honoring his own word there. He was giving the nation of Israel 70 times 7 to come to repentance. 70 times 7 is also multiples of jubilee years. He tells them, as a matter of fact, that they went into captivity when Daniel was counting the prophecy because they did not keep Sabbath, and he's numbering Sabbaths of years. And they didn't keep these feast and, and, and the jubilee. But Jesus comes on the scene in his first message is, He sent me to declare the year of the favor of our God, which was the year of jubilee. In other words, He sent me to declare the year of the favor of our God. The rest of that scripture finds its fulfillment 40 years after Jesus preached that message in A.D. 70 when Luke's gospel said, These are the days of vengeance, so that all things that were written might be fulfilled. When Jesus quotes the scripture in his first public, he didn't declare, he didn't finish the scripture. He didn't say, he, 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 did, he did not quote the full scripture of Isaiah. He said, He has sent me to bind up the broken heart, set at liberty, them that are bruised, and to declare the year of the favor of our God. But the last part of that verse in Isaiah says, And the day of the vengeance of our God. God was giving Israel every opportunity to repent until 70 times 7, 490 years are determined upon my people. He goes on to say, he sets the timeline there. I'm just trying to show you again uh, the timeline here. It just is so reiterated throughout the scriptures in so many places that if you'll study it, you'll see it. He said in Daniel chapter 9, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah the Prince would be 483 years. The commandment to restore and build Jerusalem went forth in Ezra chapter 7 under King Artaxerxes, who gave the command to restore and build Jerusalem. He gave that command in 457 B.C., and exactly 483 years later, Jesus stands up in the temple and reads the passage about Jubilee that I just told you. Jesus in his ministry begins the last seven years of the scope 
of the prophecy of Daniel's 70th week. 483 years had expired. There are seven years left of the scope of that prophecy. Jesus came on the scene and he confirmed a strong covenant with Israel for the next several years. In the middle of the last seven year period, Daniel says the Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself, but for the sins of the people. In the middle of the last seven year period of the scope of that prophecy, three and a half years into the ministry of Jesus, Jesus is crucified and he does exactly what Daniel 7, or I'm not sorry, Daniel 9 prophesies, and that is he will make an end of sin and bring in everlasting righteousness and anoint the most holy place, seal up the vision, and anoint the most holy. Jesus did that. After three and a half years of ministry, Messiah is cut off. It fits the time slot perfectly. Now, most prophecy teachers will tell you that that last seven year period of the scope of that prophecy is way out in our distant future, and there's a parenthesis theory except there's no Bible for parenthesis theory. It is a theory based on somebody's wrong hermeneutic, because if Jesus, if everything else fit completely and exactly in the timeline, and Jesus comes at the beginning of the last seven year period of the prophecy of Daniel, and for three and a half years does exactly what Daniel said would do, Jesus and Messiah was cut off in the last period and in, in, in the, in the middle of the last seven year period. Now most prophecy teachers tell you there's a parenthesis there, and then we get this gap theory where we've got two thousand years in counting, and then somehow we're going to grab that seven years and throw it somewhere out in the future when a pandemic hits somewhere, or the first thing that hits the newspaper that make we think that makes us think it's all about to fall apart. And we pull that out of context and say, well, we're about to head for tribulation. Let me tell you something. That seven-year tribulation cannot be hung on that text. And most dispensational teaching hangs on the seven-year tribulation. And by the way, dispensationalism is only a couple hundred-year-old theory and was invented to stop the Reformation after Luther came on the scene and did not become popular until just the last couple hundred years in human history, but some, because that's the main thing that's taught, we embrace that like it's Bible, but it's, it is the newest theory without any real biblical precedence because it does great harm to the context and the text to stop time and put seven years out in the future. If it started in Ezra chapter 7 under King Artaxerxes, and Jesus comes on the scene, Messiah, comes on the scene in the middle of the last seven year period, what happens for the next three and a half years? Jesus is cut off. He makes an end of sin. He brings up an everlasting righteousness. But for the next three and a half years, He tells them right before He ascends, go first to Judea, and then Jerusalem, and then to the uttermost part of the earth. Why is He telling them to go to Jerusalem and Judea first? It is because there's still three and a half years of the scope of this prophecy that is yet to come to pass. 
So three and a half years the apostles preach, but Stephen finally gives the final indictment when he stands up and said, you by wicked hands have crucified the King of glory. And they stoned Stephen to death and Jesus stood up and the clock strikes midnight. The 490 years have expired and there's Saul of Tarsus standing there holding the coats and God is about to turn Saul into Paul and take the gospel to the Gentiles because it's about to be taken from the nation that did not produce fruit and given to a nation producing fruit thereof. Now let me just say to you that we have nothing to hang that future tribulation on if we can't use the Daniel text. The Daniel text was fulfilled just like the rest of it in the first century. And if you do anything else to it, you are taking it out of the context of what it's written in. Now let me just say to you that what we see here is we see the fulfillment of, of, of many of these things and he talks about those days being shortened for the elect's sake. Now he tells you in the, uh, the book of Daniel and you get down to the latter part of that again in around chapter 9 it says it again in the Amplified Bible it's much more clear and it says, and the people of the other prince will destroy the city. The other prince that would come was Titus and Vespasian and the Roman armies that came to siege Egypt and they did it for the back end of that Bible prophecy in Daniel 12, the 42 months of the siege of Jerusalem that happens towards the end of the prophecy Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 24. There will be tribulation such as was not since the world began or would ever be again. And when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, know that it's near even at the door. The people of the other prince were the Romans who came. And he said to them, where Lord? And he said, wherever the vultures are gathered, wherever the vultures are, wherever the carcass is, that's where the vultures should be gathered together. And it never dawns on us that the, that the symbol on the Roman soldier was the symbol of the vulture. And the vultures had now gathered over the carcass of the city of Jerusalem. And it was about to be torn apart. And he goes on to say to them, when he's talking concerning this, he's talking about his, in, his coming in judgment, except those days be shortened, no flesh would be saved. He's talking about those th that he would have wiped out the entire nation, except those days would have been shortened. But he goes on to say in verse 23, then if anyone says to you, look, look, here is Christ, or there, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders and deceive many, if possible, even the very elect. See, I've told you before, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go, or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines to the west, uh, so also the coming of the Son of Man for be for wherever the carcass is, the eagles or the vultures or the birds, the symbol that was on the Roman spear will be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give us light and the stars will fall from heaven. I'll address that in another segment. But let me, let me, let me take you over here and look at this thing. When they say, in other words, when they say, look, here he is, or look, there he is. I want us to look at this verse in Luke's version of this, Luke chapter number 17. And I just saw this while we were between uh, periods shooting uh, this, this segment. It says in verse 20 of Luke 17, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said to them, answered them and said, The kingdom does not come with the observation. 
neither will they say, here it is, or there it is, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So he's using the same verbiage talking about the coming of the Lord, except he's saying, when they say, here he is, or there he is, he's saying when they say, see here or see there, he said, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, this appearing like the lightning that shines from the east to the west is not going to put him in a physical geographical location, that this coming is him taking up his abode and being inside of us. He goes on, it does not come with observation. It's not outward show or open display, but there's an indwelling. He said, for the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, the gospel of the kingdom had been preached. And remember, I told you in the segment prior to this, that, that, that even the, when he refers to the term coming in the clouds, when, when the high priest asks, are you the Christ? Are you the king of Israel? Jesus says to him, and from henceforth you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven and sitting at the right hand of power. He uses a direct quote from Daniel chapter 7 and calls himself the Son of Man, and Daniel is exclusive in his prophetic word to talk about Jesus being the Son of Man. I saw one like a Son of Man, he's talking about Jesus, who came in a cloud and appeared before the Ancient of Days. This was Him coming before God the Father, the Judge, and receiving His kingdom and His coronation as King. When, when, when Caiaphas heard Him say, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven and set it at the right hand of power, what he was hearing Jesus say is, I'm the Son of Man in that text. That's my coronation as King and God declaring me to be Lord by the resurrection of the dead. And at that time the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. So when you see him saying, lo he is here or lo he's there, don't go after it because it's not about a location. He's inside of you. Listen, we are so enamored with a coming Jesus that we sometimes miss the one that's already here that lives inside of us. The glory of the new covenant is not that He lives in a temple in the Middle East somewhere. The glory of the new covenant is that God has taken up His residence within us and we've become the tabernacle of God and the kingdom of God is within us. But when he, in the context of the, where He says, nor will they say here or see therefore indeed the kingdom of, is within you, He's using the same verbiage. Then He said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there, do not go after them or follow them, for as the lightning flashes out of one part under heaven and shines to the other part under heaven, so also will be also the Son of Man be in His day. In other words, the evidence that Jesus was Lord, the evidence that He, God's promise that, that Israel's King that was promised, was fulfilled, he was the royal seed of David, was now sitting on the throne, and the kingdom had been birthed and was now underway and has increased ever since that time of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. And he goes on to say, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation as it was in the days of Noah so will it be also in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, and they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Let me show you something. In these, in these Olivet Discourses, he uses the same pictures, but when he says it, the flood came and destroyed them all, 
and took them all away. The them all that was leaving in Matthew 24 is not the righteous. We preach this as the righteous, that when Jesus comes, He's going to take us out. Well, let me tell you, if you're the ones that are being taken out, you're in the wrong bunch because it was the wicked that was removed in Noah's day. It was the wicked that was moved in Lot's day. Remember Lot's wife. They Likewise also, He says, they, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered in the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it also was in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built... On that they built, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Listen, the moment they left, the moment the believers that heard Jesus say, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, you're going to know that it's near even at the door. They fled the city just like Lot fled the city, and fire and brimstone came upon the city of Jerusalem, and it was burnt to the ground, and brimstone and fire, and if you read the book of Revelation, you will see all the catastrophic events that are directed towards the adulterous city that was being destroyed. It's the fulfillment of Jesus saying to them, He will take the, the kingdom from those wicked husbandmen, and He will burn their cities because they killed the son of the owner of the vineyard. That's not in the future. That's something that came upon apostate Israel. And when He says, as it was in the days of Noah, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage. In other words, life as usual was going on right then, but they did not know until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Let me tell you, the moment God's people entered the kingdom, the moment Jesus entered into the realms of the heavens, and the moment we enter into this ark called Jesus and the door is shut, what was happening is that the days had finally expired of the warnings that had come time after time after time to repent. The kingdom was at hand. Now the door was being closed and it was about to rain fire and brimstone on that city. He goes on to say, let him that's on the housetop and his goods in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Don't go back. In other words, don't go back to that city because it's not going to be there. And whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. In other words, if you... See, that's, that's another scripture that's taken out of context. He that seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. In other words, if you seek to go back to Jerusalem and save your old way of life, and you're going to go back and you say, well, man, I've just got too much to leave then to lose this city. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you walk away from that. You walk away from houses, lands, forsake that. You forsake father and mother, and you flee, and you go and you listen to what Jesus said. You're going to preserve your life because a whole lot, I think it was something like three million people were killed in the siege of Jerusalem. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. He's not talking about a rapture coming and taking one of you and leaving the other one behind. What he's talking about here is that there's some that are going to leave and they're going to flee the city and some of them are going to be left behind. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the one that was in this. Uh, I don't want to be the one that's left in the bed because I'm going to tell you it was talking about a siege that was coming on them, such as was not. And then he goes on and reiterates again, and they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Wherever the body is, that's where the eagles will be gathered together. Now let me take you this also then and read just as we finish this part of it in Luke, Luke's Gospel, uh, ch uh, chapter number 21, where he's talking about this again. 
he, he, uh, he just he talks about a nation will rise. This is verse 10. He said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilence. And, and, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay ha their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my, name, my name's sake. All of that occurred in the first century. That it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Remember Paul at Rome? Uh, let, me, let me skip on down to, I, I, I will give you a mouth of wisdom of what to speak in that time when you're delivered up from which is all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, but, the hair, but not a hair of your head will be lost by your, your patient, but by your patience possessing your soul. And then he prophesies the destruction of Egypt, but when, of Jerusalem. But when you see Jerusalem, verse 20, surrounded by armies, then know that it is near the desolation. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter into her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things, not some things, that all things, all things, which are written might be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles was the 42 months of the siege of Jerusalem when Re Revelation chapter 11 says it was given to them the holy city to tread underfoot for 42 months. Then there'll be signs in the heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the distress of nations, perplexity, uh, men's hearts failing them for fear of those things that were coming upon the earth. Now let me just quickly say that when you think about signs of heaven, the, the powers of the heavens were shaken, the sun was being darkened, the moon was being turned into blood, and the stars were falling from heaven. That is a fulfillment of what Peter was talking about in Acts chapter 2 when he said, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days saith God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will be, uh, uh, will, uh, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams. And then he goes on to talk about the sun will be darkened, the moon will be turned into blood, and the stars will fall from heaven. When you think about the moon being darkened, the sun being turned into blood, you've got to think in terms of prophetic language. He was not talking about stars up here or the moon up here. He was remembering Joseph's dream. And when Joseph saw the sun, the moon, and the stars bow down to him, he knew it was a picture of natural Israel. And the, his father and his when his father heard the dream, he said, Shall I and thy mother and thy brothers bow down to thee? I submit to you that the sun, the moon, and the stars that were be, about to be shaken by a mighty wind was that the wind of Pentecost was about to blow on the fig tree, and it was about to pass away. With, it was about to be gone with the wind. The stars of the heavens were about to be shaken. The powers of the heavens would be shaken, and Israel would collapse, but God would give birth to a holy nation. Israel would be like a plowed field. We're out of time on this one. Uh, God bless you. Thank you for joining us. We do need your help. In this time of pandemic, we are not traveling, so uh, half of our income is cut. 
We do need you to help us at this time. Lenhouse.com is the best place to do that. There is an easy link there to give via PayPal or credit card. There's also a text to give on the screen has been throughout it. You can write a check or money order to Lenhouse Ministry and send it to the address that will come on the screen. Or you can call the number on the screen and someone will take your call and be able to take your gift and your offering. We do need your help. God bless you and thank you for joining us. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.